Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is precious to us, that instructs us in the way we should go. Speak to our hearts through it this morning. In thy name we ask it. Amen. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now the Bible makes it pretty clear that Christians are to be a people who rejoice all the time. But at the same time that we have this command, we also, well, we have troubles. We have struggles and the normal difficulties of living in a fallen world. Did you know it's possible to make joy a choice? To make joy a choice. You may protest. Well, hold it. My circumstances give me the right to be depressed. <laughs> or, or how can you control your emotions? Isn't joy a natural byproduct of emotional well-being? And isn't emotional well-being a byproduct of many things that are beyond our own control? So how can we rejoice all the time if you're either not in denial about difficult circumstances and, or you're not crazy? Or let's get more practical yet about the kinds of stresses and strains that might rob you of joy. You work in an environment that's mismanaged and underfunded. You have constant pressure to perform to a level that you're certainly not being compensated for and your co-workers are not Christians and they constantly complain and the atmosphere in your workplace is filled with negativity. Now, how can you rejoice daily? Does God really expect you to rejoice in a situation like that? Or take this one, your family life is strained. The communication between you and your spouse has never been great, and now additional pressures of financial loss have made you both touchy about every nickel you spend, and you find yourself walking on eggshells around each other, and you try to communicate, but it always seems to end in a fight. Your kids have picked up on the negative vibes, and they're constantly fighting as well. So even when things do seem okay between you and your spouse, you find yourself having to negotiate a minefield of, you know, which kid started what with your kids. Does God expect you to rejoice here? Or you've been faithfully doing everything possible to recover from a big financial mistake that you made a few years back. And this mistake created changes in your family and your work and your health and your future prospects. And you're doing all the right stuff, but the shadow of that mistake seems to hang over your head like a sword ready to fall. And, and the pressure has worn you out. And you've been working more hours than you thought possible and the absence from home by your workload has created stresses there and you'd love to take a, a vacation from all this stress but it's just not feasible to get away for more than a weekend you feel just burned out you would love to rejoice but even the word sounds like an expenditure of energy that you don't have well how could you do it you see we are living in an era when Christians as well as non-Christians have lives so filled with stress and without margin 
that they seem more desperate than joyful. Joy can be an energizer of our spirit when our spirit doesn't seem to have the resources for it. And as we continue to look at how to delight in the Lord, I want to share with you a few insights into this task called rejoicing that God calls us to. Recognize this. It's our responsibility to rejoice. Did you ever think about that? God wouldn't command us to do something that we couldn't do. And so he commands us to rejoice. Whenever God gives a command, he gives it for a reason. Now, we would not think that a command to rejoice would be so hard to obey. Yet, for the reasons I just mentioned, the truth is many Christians go around looking no different than non-Christians in the circumstances I just described. Brothers and sisters, that's not living the victorious Christian life. The first reason God wants us to rejoice is that God is a joyful person. He rejoices. Psalm 104, 31, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. You're one of his works. <laughs> God rejoices in you. Especially those of you who've trusted Christ as your Savior. Rejoicing, which is the expression of joy, reflects the reality that our God is a joyful God. One of his attributes is that he is happy. He's filled with joy. He has a positive outlook. He is energized with mirth. However you want to characterize joy, it is a true fact about God that he has it as part of his personality. Just like holiness... Just like righteousness and truthfulness and mercy and compassion, God is joyful. This doesn't mean that he is never grieved or angry or jealous or wrathful. But the truth of who God is, is that those things are expressions of his emotions for a moment in eternity. His more perpetual state is to be happy and joyful. That particular kind of joy that's mentioned of him is expressed as blessedness. 1 Timothy 1.11, that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me, Paul says. And when you think about it, you recognize it could not be otherwise. How could a God who is love not be happy or joyful? So the next premise that builds upon the last is that God created us in his image. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. If God is a joyful God, a God who is filled with happiness and blessing and I have been made in his image, then it follows that I too will have this capacity for joy, happiness, and blessing. When I'm express, expressive of this blessedness, this joy, I'm reflecting his likeness. He designed us to be joyful creatures. Being joyful is being in tune 
with his design for us. It fits us. And then we realize that we harmonize with God in terms of his perspective and personality when we are joyful and rejoicing. That's what Psalm 104, uh, 31 and following is about. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Notice the parallelism in the structure here. God rejoices as this awesome being who has created the universe and sovereignly rules over its creatures and its substance and its physics. And as I respond to him and his rule, I also rejoice. It's like sympathetic resonance. God's note sung out over the creation he made is joy. He said, this is good in Genesis 1. Last night I was in our living room and I looked out the window and saw the sunset. Now my wife loves sunsets. And I said, honey, you've got to come and see this one. And so she came and we stepped out on the front porch. It was a little chilly. But there was all of this color that no painter could paint. That God was creating as he's setting the sun on just one day. Incredible beauty. That speaks to your heart. It says, this is good. We look around the earth and universe to which we're perfectly suited as observers of it, its creatures, its physics, and we say, wow, God is good at what he does. If we're properly attuned, there's more joy to wow, God is good than wow, the Huskers won one. <laughs> now you be sorry for Pastor when he gets back, okay? We know he's an Iowa fan. Then there's the premise of obedience. Psalm 32, 11. The last premise upon which this command is built is the premise of obedience. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. God created man with a free will and allows us to exercise it. He doesn't treat us like horses and mules that need to be led about by a bit and bridle. He surrounds us with his love and has forgiven us of our sins so that we can have a relationship with him. And it is reasonable 
that when he gives a command that is according to our nature and for our good, that we would obey that command. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. There are also principles upon which our rejoicing is to be built. That is, <clears throat> there are things that are true as far, the, as far as the operation of rejoicing that God has put into place so that it can work. And we tap into these principles in order to be able to obey. The first principle I call the relationship principle. That is, we must have a relationship that is an affirmative relationship with God if we're to rejoice in the Lord. If we're to resonate with the Lord's joy in our spirit, our spirit must be in communion with God. We must not be God's enemy. The relationship gets established by our agreeing with God that our sin is a problem that gets between us. Agreeing with God that our sin is bad and deserves death is called confession in theological terms. So we tell God that, well, we know we're sinners, that our sin ought to be punished by separation from him, and that we're sorry we sinned, and, and we're willing to change if he would help us. And Jesus came from heaven to take care of that sin problem for us. So in this age, we trust that God's promise to forgive everyone who is willing to admit that Jesus died for their sins and trust Jesus' work on the cross to satisfy God's just judgment. That trust or faith will be credited to that person by God as righteousness. He will expunge the record of their sin in heaven and accept them as his own child. Those are the people who can rejoice in the Lord. It's that relationship that was established that enables us to rejoice in the Lord. You righteous. It means those who are in this faith relationship with God. Men are not righteous by their own efforts in God's eyes. Only by faith in Jesus Christ. Then there's the realization principle. Rejoicing is not a byproduct of the emotions as we often believe. We must realize that rejoicing is an act of the will in submission to God's wisdom that can have an influence on our emotions. Rejoicing originated in God from before the world began. Listen to Proverbs 8. Wisdom is speaking in personification, that is, as if it were a person. This is wisdom speaking. When there were no oceans, I, wisdom, was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. Let me give a little 
picture of what's going on here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are counseling together before the universe is created. And as they discuss within the Godhead how best to create this material realm, they decide it needs to have ways to reflect all that they are. It needs complexity and infinite detail. Yet it also needs to be big and filled with wonders beyond man's comprehension because that is how they are in their oneness. It should be beautiful, but it should also make sense and have design and balance rightness about the interplay of all of its various parts. And things should have purpose, but there should also be mystery so that there can be learning and exploring of knowledge. And the crowning jewel of this creation will be mankind. A creature made in God's image. All of this grew out of the wisdom of God, and God made wisdom and availability to man. It would create a worthiness in man that could be found as man sought God who was invisible and non-material and yet eternally existent with the universe he created. In this building of wisdom and its connectedness to knowing God, joy sprang forth. How could there not be joy in this discovery when man who is finite could connect with the infinite God in the reaches before time? Joy, wonder, mirth, exaltation, glory to God. Rejoicing is empowered in the choices of man when he seeks God's wisdom and finds a connectedness to God that transcends mortality. Joy is the byproduct of this wisdom. The last principle that I see operative in our obedience to rejoicing is what I call the role principle. I need to know my role, and I need to understand God's role in order to be able to rejoice as I ought. You see, rejoicing expresses our dependence upon God for bringing about his good ends in the face of things we cannot control. Let me give a few examples of what I mean. One of the things that challenges our ability to rejoice is injustice. When things are happening to us that simply are not fair or just, we need to understand God's role and our role in order to be able to rejoice. Psalm 35 gives us an example of this. Here David has a complaint about injustice and, and begins, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. He understands that vengeance is God's even though people after him are after him unjustly. He leaves vengeance in God's capable hands and chooses to rejoice in the fact that God will bring it about someday. Another example is our dependence upon God to bring about an exaltation of his name in the face of satanic opposition. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are, found, are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. 
The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shed upon the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Here again, we have a role that God has. God can consume his foes on every side. He will contend with his foes, which are apparently spiritual contenders. Our role is to hate evil and rejoice in him. Part of rejoicing is recognizing that there will be opposition to God and his works and his ways. We are dependent upon him to bring victory for his righteousness and the righteousness in the face of this opposition. Our rejoicing in him is an expression of our faith in his ultimate control and victory over these things. Well, let's get practical here. We may that be that person in the lousy work setting that I described at the beginning of the message. I must believe that God is in control. If I choose to rejoice in my salvation, in my God's greatness, in my belief that in the end he will bring about justice, in the truth that I will be able to endure whatever he equips me for, then in the face of that discouraging situation, I will be strengthened by my very rejoicing. Or I may be the person in the difficult marriage. As I rejoice in the Lord that he has not forsaken me, that he desires good things for my life, that he will protect my reputation before friend and foe alike as I simply do that which is right. If I allow him to do his job and only rejoice in doing mine, I will find my attitude changed toward my own difficulties. You see, rejoicing in the Lord changes your perspective because it confesses a faith in his goodness, his promise, his sovereignty, and it confesses your dependence upon him. God wants us to depend upon him and then rejoice. We often get it turned around. We want God fixed my circumstances so I can rejoice. No, that's not the way it works. God says we need to rejoice in him. You see, thinking that he needs to fix my circumstances before I can rejoice, then that's rejoicing in circumstances, not rejoicing in the Lord. Where is his glory in that? I want to show you a few categories of the ways to rejoice in the Lord. I see three categories of ways from various scriptures, and uh, we trust these will be helpful. The first category of rejoicing in the Lord is rejoicing through meditation. Psalm 104 is a good example of this. We see it as a meditation because that is what the psalmist calls it, may my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. I want to point out a couple of aspects of this meditation that can serve for a model for your meditations. This meditation begins as a prayer within oneself. Psalm 104.1, 1, 
praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The psalmist is talking to himself, O my soul. But he's also talking to God. You are very great. And he shifts back and forth between accolades that he gives directly to God and observations that he makes about God's works. Verses 2 through 4 begin with he describing what God does. Verses 6 through 8 begin with you establishing God's prominence and right to judge the earth. The tone of address seems to communicate wonder and worship, a subservience on the part of the psalmist. The psalmist also recognizes things that God has fixed as foundational principles that we can count on. Meditation involves this interplay of thoughts that are focused Godward and outward and then inward. It involves reflection and consideration and affirmation and discernment and observation and exaltation. All of this mental activity, that's meditation. Meditation is not, as the Eastern mystics would try to teach you, losing your mind, <laughs> losing your sense of connectedness to everything. No, Christian meditation acknowledges God's sovereignty over everything, can focus on all of those things and return them to God for praise. These thoughts are thoughts of gratitude and wonder and exclamations of beauty because these expressions express security in the knowledge of God's sovereign care because they delight in his being, because they take pleasure in him and his works, they are rejoicing. Psalm 104. Then there's the practice of celebration. Psalm 105 gives a view to the practice of celebration as a form of rejoicing. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Let me just enumerate the ways these first four verses give for celebration. One, by giving thanks. We just spent a few days doing that. Focused on, well, we should give thanks to God. Two, by witnessing about God to other peoples. By singing, by talking about his acts. Had the privilege this week with uh, Colby, our district superintendent. He called me up and he says, Ron, I, I got a little side project going on and I wonder if you'd like to participate in it. And I said, what is that? He says, well, I'm trying to uh, interview some of the guys in the district that have been in ministry a long time and just get some perspectives on things. And he says, I've got a list of questions that I'll ask you. We'll do a Zoom call. And he said, then I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post that interview on the district website. And so we set a time 
for him to do that, and and he uh, called me at the appropriate time. We did our Zoom call. And one of the things that I realized in the course of, he had a number of questions that helped me kind of review my nearly 40 years of being a pastor, is um, God was working all of the times and places and wherever I was. God was working. It's God's work that accomplished anything that anybody gives me any credit for. It's God's work. And that's true of all of our lives. If you've got a gift or a, a skill or a talent that you can use that blesses other people, that's God's work. You can rejoice in that. It's God's work through you. Glory in his name. Talk about his acts. Seek the Lord with your heart. Look to the Lord for strength. And then by prayer, all of these are ways to celebrate him. And last, there is the practice of imitation. Nehemiah 8, 10 through 12. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still. For this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. God is a holy God. A part of being holy, of being sacred and set apart is joy. And so it was not appropriate for them to grieve because this was a holy day, and the, the context is that all of these exiles that had come back to rebuild the wall hadn't had the books of the law read to them before. And they came together and they stood, and the priests and Levites read the books of the law to them. And they started weeping. Oh, what a disappointment we are. No wonder God judged us and sent us away. We were not faithful to his word. God is such a holy God. How can we even be saved? And then they were instructed, no, 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 no. God has loved you and preserved you that you may joy in him. Do it. Send portions of food to each other. Celebrate. That's a way to express his holiness and your recognition of it because he's a joyful God and he has joy in saving you. What are characteristics of God seen? They were that they'd seen and were instructed to do. 
joy in God's blessing <clears throat> and provision. That is what is seen in them feasting and obeying the priest's instruction to enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Don't think they had Coke or Pepsi, but, you know. God is presented in Scripture as enjoying the sweet-smelling savor of the sacrifices of the incense, and they were to enjoy themselves. The sacrifices were the times when their covenant love relationship with God was to be remembered. Let me give you an idea of what's going on here. So a couple gets married and they have a beautiful wedding and a spectacular reception with a special dinner and fantastic cake. And after the wedding, they do well and they have nice jobs and live in a nice house and they have a good relationship. And then years pass more in joy than in trial. And they're a normal couple. Everything isn't perfect, but they really are doing quite well in every way. And five years later, they're going to celebrate their anniversary. And so the husband says, honey, let's remember our wedding day and Celebrate what our love relationship means to us by, well, having bread and water and mourning over all the ways we've disappointed each other. No! That's not the way you celebrate a love covenant relationship. It would be entirely inappropriate. Rather, they should celebrate by going out for a nice meal in an atmosphere that will remind them of their reception. And they should give cards to each other and might call up their best man and maid of honor and just say they were remembering their wedding day and thanks for being a part of it. And they might get out pictures and smile and laugh at all the things that happened on that day. That would better reflect the nature of the relationship. It is joy and it is good. And they can rehearse that joy and goodness by imitation of what brought them together. Paul gives us the idea in Ephesians 5, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We imitate the character and qualities of God himself as a way to rejoice in him. One of the ways they imitated God in the book of Nehemiah was giving gifts. You know, God so loved that he gave. Giving is to be an act of rejoicing in imitation of God. We're told that God loves a cheerful giver. And we're about to enter that season where we'll be giving gifts. Rejoice in that. It reflects who God is. Reflects who God is. He gave his son. Well, day by day, are you choosing to rejoice in the Lord? By the way, if you're following the uh, outline in the bulletin, the word Lord got left out. <laughs> you have good reason to rejoice in the Lord if he's forgiven your sins. You have the capability because you have been made in his image and he is a joyful God. All you need to do is find the way that will work for your situation. It may be meditation. Fill your mind with thoughts of him and his wonders in the universe. It may be celebration, sing, shout, pray, witness. Tell somebody about him. Maybe imitation, 
rejoice by imitating the way he rejoices. Be pleased with life and give to others cheerfully. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a joyful God. We thank you for the reminders in your word of your joy and that you rejoice in us. You rejoice in your son, Jesus. You rejoice in that which you have created in a material universe. And we can reflect your joy back to you by rejoicing in all of these same things. We praise you, Lord, that joy is a part of our lives in Christ. In thy name we ask it. Amen.